0: Welcome, everyone, back to the greater community. This uh, show exists to examine what God is doing outside the four walls of the church in our community, both locally and globally, and to see different expressions of how God is working through a lot of different kind of contexts. And today, I'm super excited to have my friend Daryl answer with us. He's a pastor here in Kansas City. And Daryl, if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a a little about your church.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Tom, thanks for having me. Um, So I'm originally from London. Uh, I grew up in London, England. Uh, Both my parents are actually Jamaican. Uh, So they migrated to the UK as as adults. And then um, I grew up there. And uh, when I was 21, uh, I moved here to the States to go to college. And went to a really small Christian college, um, and then 10 years ago, moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where I've been uh, this whole time. So um, about three years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, Stephanie and I, uh, planted New Community Covenant Church. Uh, We joined the ECC in 2017, and um, our church really came out um, of—I'd have to go back 10 years— um, we started three years ago. I believe our journey started 10 years ago. Uh, at least for me, I think my wife would say earlier than that because she'd been doing ministry on the east side of Kansas City for, I'd say, 20 years now. So um, I think the seed of New New Community Church um, was being in a room full of high school age and young adults, um, students and kids. And we had just got done. Uh, with a series of lessons on the life of Jesus, and we had split up into guys and girls, and this is with Freedom Fire Urban Ministry, so you know them well, Tom, and um, we've got good friend, mutual friends there. Um, so Stephanie had been a part of that ministry for about five years at the time. I was brand new to Kansas City, and Freedom Fire was actually the reason for me coming to Kansas City because of my international student status, I was able to work for one year with a ministry that lined up with my degree. So that's how I got here. Um, So one night we're sitting in a room with a group of high school and young adults, uh, high school kids, young adults, and asked the question, where are we at? Like, what do you all think of Jesus? And I was really intentional um, with using the language of following Jesus, not just Believing not just um, intellect, but also lifestyle. So one of our one of the young guys was like, "Man, yeah, we we believe." And this was a room full of young men um, in the urban core, um, Bibles open. And they're like, "Yeah, we believe. We believe in Jesus." Um, and they were like, "Man, if Jesus came back today, he'd be in the hood with us." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, from what you read in Scripture, that's that's who Jesus was." Um. And then they, on the flip side, they said, man, we believe if he was in the hood, he'd be here with us, but we don't think we can follow him and live in this community at the same time. Mm. And a lot of that came from just their experience of ministry, um, which a lot of our ministries um, unfortunately fall in this paradigm of suburban, majority white congregations going in to a community of color. Doing service projects, more like charity type ministries, um, which are all you know, which is fine. But when the recipients of that ministry, that's all they see as ministry, then I could totally see why they wouldn't think they could live in their community, follow Jesus um, at the same time. Um, or and then also with all of the struggles, with the systemic injustices in their community, the violence lack of resources and, and and so on. So that's really, that was the seed. Um, and then again, 10 years ago, and uh, my, Stephanie and I, um, we weren't even engaged um, at the time. And um, we started asking the question, uh, what would it look like for a group of Jesus followers to just simply live in a community, follow Jesus in a neighborhood, join what was already happening, um, invite people into discipleship and then just see what Jesus does. And that's really this the journey of our church um, So we did that for a number of years uh, in the urban core and um, like I said started Bible study and then three years ago um, became new community covenant church
0: So you you said a whole bunch of things I want to ask you about um, one of the statements you made is is you're meeting with this group of guys and they they say, "You know, if Jesus were alive today, he'd be here with us." And I know probably if you look around the world, everyone kind of sees Jesus through their own lenses, and you know, you look at, you know, if you're in a white suburban church, you tend to see a lot of portrayals of Jesus as a white man with like the you know the the long flowing hair and everything. and And so, you know, for those that are listening and watching that come from that background, to hear that Jesus would, hang, would be hanging out in the city probably is a little startling to them. So what led them to, and what led you to, to kind of come to that conclusion that if Jesus was, you know, alive today, he'd be here with us in the city?
1: Yeah, you know, I think as you read through the Gospels, I mean, first of all, looking at um, his, his, the whole narrative around his birth, um, Mary, his mother... Um, Looking at um, that whole situation um, with them having to, um, the whole census and how that all took place, um, then there'd be no room in the inn for them, Um, even after Jesus was born and they had to go and present Jesus at the temple and what they brought, um, symbolizing, um, you know, if you don't have the resources, um, you can bring these gifts as you present your child, which points to their um, income level, you know, so Jesus didn't come from wealth. Um, so even his parents were marginalized, um, maybe not in the same sense within an American context, which not only when we think about Jesus, we think about whatever neighborhood we're in, but we're all within the American context. So even as we read scripture, we still, though we're in different, um, sub contexts we still read it below, you know, Within, you know, with American exceptional eyes, <laughs> right? Um, so, I think even taking into consideration Roman Empire um, and they were under Roman oppression, um, how Rome was in power and has set key people up, key Jews up to keep order. Um, I think all of those things, um, and then even looking at the ministry of Jesus, who Jesus chose to be close to, who Jesus chose to touch. Those who are considered unclean. Yeah. Um, though Jesus did interact with the, those who are powerful, you don't really see Jesus, um, you know, working really hard um, to be in close proximity to power. Power usually found him.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and he was usually with those who were forgotten on the margins, just with the people. I believe mean, Jesus was just a man of the people. Um, and lived in such a way where those who would be considered farthest from God could see through his life that God was close to them, mm-hmm. like God, you know, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think just looking, you know, and again, that's just my top of my head answers, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Sure. As you asked that question, but I just think looking at, um, the, his, how Jesus entered the world, how he, lived his life, how he did ministry, and then even his death, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, right, so, and he even said that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right, so yeah. Jesus knew struggle, he was born into it, uh, but he didn't let that struggle define him, um, and he didn't pursue um, worldly power, um, as you see many of us in the church doing today.
0: Yeah, and that's, I think that is so much about what you just said that triggers like, man, we could have like a three-hour conversation about any one of these topics, mm-hmm. but it really, having that understanding of Jesus, seems like that would set you off a whole different course of starting a, a, a church community. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going, kind of going with that ethos is, is very different than, say, a group of suburban Christians who reading reading um, the scriptures maybe in a different way, saying, hey, we're going to go in gonna go plant a church in the same neighborhood that you were in, but we're gonna do it from a different perspective rather than than incarnating from the inside out and saying all right this is our community and how are we going to embody Jesus in our community rather than sometimes I think the suburban church wants to export you know a brand of Christianity into the church and so it's a very different way to go about it and even you know as as you talked about those early days, I think I first met you at one of those pastor gatherings those wednesday pastor gatherings over at hillcrest Mm -hmm. and i remember there were a lot of days where you're you guys were just trying to figure out how to like make the bills and make the rent and put food on the table yeah so talk about those early days you know as you're kind of starting to dream and you have this conviction about being sort of a, a church that's different than than maybe your traditional you know church plant as you might think about it um describe what that community was like in those early days
1: yeah so I guess two pieces and two points uh, to answer your question the first would be what community was like at that time so when Stephanie and I moved in the neighborhood we um I mean our income was the same as the communities. like we didn't we, did, we didn't move in with resources we didn't move in with a team we didn't move like we just felt called to a place because of some connections that had happened. Like Stephanie had been doing ministry on the east side for years. Stephanie had felt called to move um, and be, because of relationships um, that she had built. Um, So we move um, as a result of, uh, the the house we were able to move into was, it really came out of someone else's generosity because we couldn't even afford a place um so when we moved in we just joined what was happening so we worshipped in the community already existing churches because Jesus is here God is here and that's another problem that we have in a lot of our missions is that we believe we're bringing God to people and that's so far from the truth yeah um so we knew God was here we knew God was at work and we knew there was amazing leaders and people like we just knew all of that. We didn't allow all the negative stereotypes that the media and, you know, what others like to continue to that people thrive on. We didn't let that shape how we entered. Um, so we moved in, um, joined our neighborhood association. We walked, a t- I mean, I, to this day, like I just, we walk as a family now that we have two kids we throw our son in the wagon and I, you know, we just walk and connect with people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we did that. And, um, I'll pray after a few years of just being present, um, and starting a few things, um, and my wife and a few friends helped start a play group with an organization. And then we started doing meals, um, just breaking bread with neighbors. Uh, we started, um, we call it the East Side Resident Showcase, where we would just highlight people that had side hustles in the neighborhood. And we bring over a hundred neighbors together to celebrate that. So we just kind of just, I've always believed that the church should be woven into the fabric of a community. And when I say church, I mean Ecclesia, I mean the people, not the building, right? Not the programs, not the, like literally the church should see itself as woven into the fabric. Um, So that's what we did, we just joined stuff. and then from that, invite folks to the discipleship.
0: And that's really different than the mindset of like, okay, we're going to start a church. So w- what time is the service? How many songs are we going to sing? Who's preaching the sermon? Yep. Like that's, you know, that sounds like that's a conversation that's many steps down the road. Mm-hmm. That was not your, your, you know, primary driving force where for a lot of us, I think, or a lot of the people who might be listening, Mm -hmm. you know, with a kind of a a more of a, again, I'll just use the word traditional mindset of Mm -hmm. what church is as in churches about, you know, a weekly gathering. Um, It's different. seems like a different emphasis to say instead of a weekly gathering where I gathered people in our community throughout the week and that gathering can look like a play group. It can look like, You're, you know, and so you're kind of redefining kind of this traditional mindset of what church is.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is folks we met in the play group and all of our other community organizing work, those are now the leaders in our church. Mm. So we i have always been this way, even when I was in London. Like I've always believed the church when I when I gave my life to Christ and became a follower of Jesus when I was 18. I've always believed the church should be a part of the community. And I've always believed that the Sunday morning gathering should be a reflection of the church's engagement in the week. Mm. I think part of our struggle as the church is that we make Sunday morning church. Right. Um, and we've been conditioned to think that way. Um, but I, I never forget there was a couple, they live around the corner from us, part of our, um, part of our community play groups and we became good friends and, I remember one Sunday um, during our gathering when we were meeting and became a became a church. um, I remember the husband saying, man, the only reason why that I'm not religious, I don't do church. The only reason why I come here is because I know I'm going to see you all in the week. Mm. Like this isn't, this isn't a Sunday morning thing for us. Like we see each other throughout the week, you know? So we are literally creating an extended family that supports one another. Um, so to your, sec- that your original question, because um, you had mentioned how do we move forward with this, um, that, why I just articulated to you, when we felt like it was time to begin a church, when we approached networks and did not, I mean, I'm, I thank God for the ECC because they finally took us in. People struggled, yeah. like church planning or agencies, or I mean, I'm not going to name folks, but they were like, we don't know what you are. Like, are you a one question i go was, are you a church or are you a, are you a church planter or are you a missionary right and i was like what's the difference i couldn't and even to this day like i consider myself both like every believer is a missionary right every believer is a church planter um so can uh, in, unpack in unpack the way that we it. can
0: we unpack real quick cuz i i want i think when that word missionary gets used certain people might have a certain picture in their mind about what you're talking about when you say the word missionary what are you talking about like how would you yeah describe- so
1: so so i strongly believe that um i mean peter talks about it, the priesthood of believers um paul talks about it uh, that we've been given these gifts god gave gifts to apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers these gifts have been given to the church um so every single person has been given the charge um, to go out and make disciples of all nations. Like when Jesus said that to his disciples, he didn't say, hey, you guys over here, you all are to go out and make disciples and you guys over here, you all should stay at home and raise money and send it to these folks. Yeah. So I think every single one of us has the opportunity to be a missionary wherever we find ourselves. So at New Community Church, we talk about Um, us together, we we have a missional DNA. And one of the things is being a movement of missional disciples, disciples who live out our calling in everyday life. Mm. Um, So every single one of us, you can be a missionary while you're at, at, I mean, I know COVID's right now. So a lot of people aren't in their workplace, but how you, how you uh, engage coworkers and and pray for folks like right now one of my folks works for a major foundation and she leads a prayer meeting once a week with folks who are willing to do it right so she's been a missionary at work so um that's what i mean by that i don't mean packing a bag and flying overseas yeah. i just mean loving your neighbor like i believe lo- loving god and loving your neighbor as you love yourself is the most basic way of being a missionary wherever you find yourself
0: yeah yeah So good. So many things that I want to dig into from that. So you talk about to get to that point, you mentioned before I kind of redirected you for a second.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, You started discipling. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What did that look like? What did that discipleship process or what did what the discipling look like as you were kind of in your formative years getting this community kind of moving?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I think when we think about discipleship, we think of a program. Um, We've kind of been trained in that as well. It needs to be a program or a class you go through. Um, And we did some of that. Like I I took, for about a year and a half, I took a group of people. We'd meet every Tuesday night. And there'd be a group of us that would be walking through some discipleship materials, um, some leadership development stuff. Um, And that, it was good content, but I just realized Things weren't sticking, and um, what I realized was the discipleship that we needed to kind of lean into was just inviting people into our lives. Mm. Um, so it, our discipleship, and we were still doing the gap, the Tuesday night gap. That was still going, we were going through content, and I would ask my leaders to lead it. like I would lead, and then we'll discuss about it, and then I have them lead something, you know, so that type of coaching. We did that. Um, but I think what was most impactful in those early years is our spending time together. Yeah. Um, and watching, really watching Stephanie and I um, live our life kind of out there in public. And then also watching us struggle together in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so our community, the folks in our church, they, they know about all our struggles. So mm-hmm. we don't, there, there is no... Um, I don't know like with my family what you see is what you get you yeah. know so I have, I once uh, I, both my kids have special needs I've one one of my my four year old is uh, severely autistic um and my church has journeyed with us through all of that um when 2017 I was getting tested for cancer 2017 2018 I was getting tested for, for leukemia going through you know bone marrow biopsies and blood so And the church came around us in all that time, so I think the way we discipled was through our life. Mm. Um, We um, so much so that even people in the community that don't go to church, I'm still their pastor. Yeah. So um, my one of my old neighbor, we moved a year ago, but my old neighbor, he told everyone in the neighborhood, I'm his pastor. Mm. Um, When his dad died, my our church wrapped around a family. Um, my, my marriage to Stephanie is an example to he and his wife mm. um, who separated and are now back together. Mm. So discipleship for us is more around like principles, um, how we live. It's just, it's taken our people so long to get the fact that like, um, like this whole idea of incarnation,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: like the ministry of presence, because we've been conditioned to an event, church is an event and it needs programs. Yeah. But we're like, no, let's be the church. And, and even churches that say that, it's so hard to actually do it yeah. um, because we have so many expectations from others on our life. But one of the things that helped me is that the church don't pay me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I work outside. Yeah. So, and then there isn't, nobody's giving us money, you know? So there isn't anyone coming back and saying, hey, you need to do this and have these many people in these benchmarks. It's is like, no, we're going to follow Jesus in this neighborhood. We're going to invite people into discipleship in, in a relational way. And we're going to see what Jesus does. God has called us to that and that only.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of what Paul writes in first, first uh, Thessalonians one where he talks about, you know, we live this way for your sake. You know, he talks yeah. about that a lot where, you know, he would do, he'd come into be a part of a community and a lot of this is a very similar process of just modeling you know, yeah. this is what, and so with that, you know, you, I, you've heard mentioned a few times now that you have people that you're in a relationship with that probably wouldn't normally find themselves in a, involved in a church community, probably wouldn't normally, you know, be a part of something like what you're doing. How has that approach, do you think, opened up, you know, your community to, to really be in a welcoming place for people that maybe wouldn't normally be interested in coming and being a part of a church community?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with us being intentional wherever we find ourselves. So I think about the most recent, uh, we just baptized someone a few months ago, and her story comes to mind because we met her at my kid's school. So she's a we, our kids go to the same um, therapeutic preschool. Her daughter, one of her kids has special needs. So that's how we connected.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was months before anything, anything came up. When, Ste- when Stephanie and I are out in the community, we don't—I don't introduce myself as a pastor. Like I don't do that. My name's Daryl, Stephanie, Jaden, his kid. You know, like we don't—we don't lead with that at all. It's only after a while that comes up. So we just, um, you know, with this individual, it was relationship. We joined the parent committee. We saw leadership in her. We'd enc- we encouraged her to. Be the co-leader of the committee, and we just we were just living community together, um, going through the same struggles as special needs parents, um, which many of us go you know we struggle in isolation. So we became community for one another. And then um, it was after a while, she, uh, she her and Stephanie started having conversations around faith,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she was like, I knew there was something about you both. Um, so then prayers started happening. And then earlier this year, our church went through Hugh Halter's book, Flesh, mm. which anyone listening, an incredible book all around how we can live our lives as Jesus would. Um, and it's looking at how looking at Jesus, how Jesus inc- incarnated himself and was uh, an ordinary guy, you know, um, and just how he lived out of that space. So Stephanie was telling her about this book. And she, again, wasn't a believer. She went and bought it and read it mm. um, on her own. And then we, our church does prayer walks in the spring, summer, and fall. So middle of summer, we were doing a prayer walk at our local school. Uh, we're near Central High School. So we were doing a prayer walk. She joined us and was like, hey, um, you guys make me feel safe. Um, your church has welcomed me in and I want to get baptized. We're like, what <laughs> you know like that's amazing so um so we baptized her and then now her daughter is sharing encouraging faith messages on her tiktok you know to encourage her friends you know just because she's really taking a hold of her faith and jesus is doing an amazing work in her life so i think again going back it began with us the whole idea of being missionaries we're just going to be present listen to the spirits leading um, and encourage, like when we see gifts in people, we call that out because we believe those gifts have been given by God, and we saw that in her. Um, and then we just mean encouragement to her, um, any ways that we can bless her and her family, but also recognizing that the ways, there's ways that she can be a blessing to us. Mm. Um, so she's she's Spanish-speaking, so our, our services online, we make sure that we make put the main points in the notes in Spanish. And I think those are other things that we did to make her feel connected and apart. we have a couple of Spanish speaking families that tune in. So she felt welcome. Um, now, I mean, literally right now, she's helping to plan our Christmas, you know, what we're doing for Christmas. So, um, I think, you know, not only us being there for her, for her and ministering to her and sharing the gospel with her, but then also giving immediately creating space for her to use her gifts and be a blessing to the community. Yeah, yeah. And there is no discipleship track. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, okay, now you've been baptized. Now we have to walk through this thing for nine months before yeah. you can do anything. It's like, nah, Stephanie definitely sent a text out last week. Like, look, what are we doing for Christmas? And she replied and said, like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that's just how we do things.
0: So in the time that I've gotten to know you, whether it's at some of those pastor meetings or whether we, you and I've gotten together for meals and stuff, I know that over the years, there's been challenges, but there's also been some exciting things happen. And yeah. um, so kind of going through that journey, you know, you kind of just shared a story about God really being at work
2: mm-hmm.
0: when, when things were really challenging and especially when you were kind of getting started, mm-hmm. what was it that kept you going? I mean, what was it kept you? Cause I mean, 10 years is a long time to, to hang in somewhere that, you know, you, you, you talk a little bit about that you, know, you don't have necessarily like a, a donor base that's just you know that you can depend on from week to week or month to month, and you don't necessarily have you know a lot of times church planners are thinking about well I want to get on board with the denomination so I can get you know these you know this security and this this kind of thing, and, and, and from what I know of your church, you've really been living on faith for a long time. Yeah. So how do you okay. You know, how do you hang in and be faithful in that and not just get discouraged and throw on the towel and say, man, this is just too hard?
1: Yeah, I think this is where we can learn from the immigrants in our community. Um, Me being one of those, right? And my parents, my parents are immigrants. Um, I grew up in a church in London where nobody got paid. I never heard of church, I never heard of pastors getting paid until I came to America. Everyone worked. Like in the back home, everybody worked.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so it was very simple. We were all family. Um, you know, we were in and out of each other's homes throughout the week. Um, but it was a church of immigrants. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so that was my church experience until I came out here and started I went to college and saw these mega churches and pastors getting salaries and so because of my upbringing and what I grew up with, and just watching my family and others around me just doing what they had to to get by, that shaped, that has, that has shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. So some may call it foolish. And for me, it's just life. Like, mm-hmm. so when I felt like, when Stephanie and I both felt that like the Lord was leading us to to do this, you know, let me say that. I feel like this is just who Stephanie and I are. Like This is just who we are. So, even, I, I mean, and the reason why I say that is because even with no funding, we were doing this, right? There was, there was nothing, right? There was no, nobody said, Hey, here's a, like, no, there was one church that gave us some money. And when they said it to us, when they gave us the check, they were like, Hey, we know that this woman lost you a few months. Stephanie, I did ministry and we lived on that check for a whole year. <laughs> and there was a couple months. It was like, nah, you don't know how we function. Like this is a whole year's worth of ministry and our family's income. Yeah. So um, and that was me, Stephanie, and a baby, right? Yeah. So um, I think just my upbringing, um, yes, faith, but I think also the American church um, has been infected by capitalism, mm. and in the in the ministry world, we believe that if there is no money, ministry can't happen. Mm. And I was like, I don't know where you see that in scripture. Yeah. Um, Because what we do see in scripture is, I mean, in the the early church in Acts, what we did see is people who had more, they sold it so everyone could have. Um, You see that. So even if we took away the church budgets and the church buildings, and we just had our homes and our, our, you know, our house and our two, three cars, and, you know what I'm saying? Our, 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 savings accounts and you know i'm saying if we if we just function with that um, we could still do ministry yeah yeah you know,
0: well, and, so. e- and even when you're talk when you're talking i mean i think about my experience with you i think it's a it's a difference between putting the emphasis on what you don't have versus putting the emphasis on what you do have and i'm not just talking about financially i'm talking about just all of those resources Absolutely. i mean i think about you know so often how many conversations have i had in churches i've been serving in churches on staff for 20 years and then volunteering for you know a few years before that
2: mm-hmm.
0: and how many meetings have i been in and saying this is what we can't do yeah because we just don't have the budget for it we can't do this because we don't have the budget for it and so it's just a it's a different focus to say well, this is what we got though. I mean, I think about even the times when, when I've come to your house for a lunch, you know, it's, I've never, it's never been like, well, you know, we can't have you or, or, or we, we can't afford this or we can't, it's always been like, Hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I, can I buy you lunch? You know, kind of, and I think sometimes that's the, there's a dysfunction on the part of suburban churches that are kind of middle upper classes that we, just have this assumption that well, we have to we have to act in this way because the other person you know or or a church in the city doesn't have these resources and so we've got to fill in the gap when as you're saying with your story about the church is that it, it just works it's a totally different playbook almost about how you look at resources about how you look at ministry and it seems like that's a lesson that you know, a context like mine could really learn lessons from. And I wonder how differently churches in general would operate if we chose to, to focus on what we have instead of what we don't have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I will say though, there's a flip side to this. I do believe there is an unjust distribution of resources. Sure. I, I do, you know, so I just want to name that as well. Though, though we have learned to use what we have we also know that injustice exists, and my community is not getting the resources that it needs. Um, so that's a reality too. So it's living in between those those two. Um, so the church incarnates itself in a context, and then still is a prophetic witness. Say, hey, um, things are not the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. Right? So the church should always be that voice as well. You know, calling out in the in the wilderness. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so just what I think is important to say that and have that nuance and, and enter, that, enter that tension and that, that place of being uncomfortable. I think churches um, want to be as comfortable as possible, um, you know, and then we look at COVID and we're scrambling, trying to figure out how to get back to normal and there is no normal. And I think us learning to be in tension. I think the people of God need to, need to model that to the rest of the world. Yeah. How, how to not, not be comfortable in tension, but to just step into it and remain there.
0: So so I can, I can already hear friends of mine and people that I know. And even in myself, when I hear about, uh, an unequal distribution of wealth or an unjust distribution of wealth, the first question is gonna be like, well, how do I fix this then? Where do yeah. I write my check? What do I need to do? Yeah. How would you respond? Like if you, if you were sitting across the, the, Coffee table from a pastor in the suburbs who's got you know who wants to say all right we're I hear what you're saying, Daryl, so what do I need to do? How yeah. would you respond to that that comment or that question
1: you know i the reality is our church could always use more resources, right like there are people in my church who don't have jobs who I would love to be able to hire or you know, I, I would love to be able to provide more jobs to my people. That being said, I believe churches in the suburbs that have an abundance of resources, and even if they don't think they do, they probably do. Yeah. Um, if the, if that question, how do we fix this? What do we need to do? I'm I am becoming more and more convinced that the church, um, the church's lack of refusal to disciple their own people out of Um, all forms of supremacy is doing more and more damage to us. Mm. All of us. Like there's a, I I mean, I'm a part of a um, cohort right now. And there's, I forgot the name of the author, but there's a study that was done on how whiteness, the ideology of whiteness, not your skin, but the ideology, the idea of white supremacy is killing all of us, including white folks. Um, So when we continue to just want to throw money out and fix um you know it really is comes down to our guilt i don't like how this information makes me feel so if i just like with the the way that we consume right and we go out and shop and it makes us feel better um, if i give to this thing it will make me feel better but it hasn't solved anything one ministry may go a couple extra thousand dollars but at the end of the day um, white supremacy is still rolling within congregations and nationalism is still reigning in congregations
0: so let's just let's define that because I, again i think sometimes these are terms that get misunderstood yeah, yeah, yeah. in conversation. Right. so Absolutely. when you say white supremacy i mean certain people will think of like you're talking about skinheads or people like right. that but that's not necessarily what you're talking about it's a little more nuanced than that so when you when you yeah. say white supremacy, what are, what are you really trying to get at?
1: Yeah, so I mean, this goes back hundreds of years, but this idea of whiteness and white supremacy um, is this idea that people of European descent are of more value um, than others. So they're considered superior. Um, so folks of European descent are the standard and when you look at this racial hierarchy that was created, and was race is not real. It was, it was created, right? So yeah. there is a human race, um, but there are many ethnicities, right, and nationalities. We see that in scripture, but race as we know it was created um, to control people. Um, and that's what we see taking place in the transatlantic slave trade. That's why people of African descent were able to be sold and bought and here in America, we're considered three-fifths human, so that's what that comes down to. But then, though there aren't, um, you know, though white supremacy isn't only those um, overt, you know, uh, the white, you know, the skinheads and the KKK and all of that. Um, when, when um, white supremacy, you know, when slavery was instituted and was still legal in this country, a lot of laws were created and a lot of systems were put in place and a lot of them still hold weight today. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though, um, you you know, people aren't, as much aren't burning crosses and black folks aren't being lynched and bought and sold, uh, we still see the, you know, our school systems, you know, um, our neighborhoods, um, poverty rates, um, all of those still impacts um, in significant
0: ways. Yeah, yeah. So what can a, What can a, a a predominantly white church do to start dismantling some of that, even within their own? I think sometimes we think about the problem that's out there, mm-hmm. but there's a problem that's that's in here. Yeah. You know, that's that's that. You know, as I've been doing study over the last few years, there's so much of just kind of being oblivious or, or kind of, you know, participating in something or contributing to something and not really realizing uh, the full implications of that. And even, you know, my wife and I had a conversation the other day about just in general, it seems like our culture is very much built on what's good for me. You know, I'm going to do really what's good for me. Mm -hmm. And even, and I see that play out in so many different ways. I mean, even in the, this even in a really small way you know going to the grocery store and watching a person on their phone just standing right in the middle of the aisle while you got a cartload of groceries (laughs) standing behind them and they're just like yeah you know i mean so it's (laughs) so there's there's it's 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 a lot of layers of that so how do you start to a maybe raise awareness to this because i mean even the idea for some folks that there is a systemic issue is like well wait a minute i'm not that's not my experience. So yeah, yeah. But how do you even get to, for, from your perspective, again, how would you get to just starting to uncover some of these things and really starting to deal with, again, not an issue that's out there that we can say that's bad, but saying, okay, what is it that Yeah, we need start wrestling with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think some simple things churches can do is, ask themselves what do we consider to be normal or the standard whether it be music worship styles um whether it be theology um and the um, voices that we listen to mm. um you know if you're constantly quoting dead white men <laughs> you know it's like there are a lot of other theologians out there you know um you know those are just some uh, things um and in relationships, who are you in a relationship with? Again, we're in the midst of COVID, so we can't completely lean into this. But one of the questions um, and I had a pastor ask me some years ago, or oh, he wanted to diversify his congregation. And one of the things that first thing that I said to him is, well, if your dining room table isn't diverse, your church won't be. Yeah. Like if, you're, if your life isn't diverse, why are you going to try and create? You know, like it just didn't make sense to me. So it, it sounds very fake. Yeah. Um it's not rooted in relationship. It's rooted in like, you know, it's, it's a show. Like, hey, hey, look everyone, we're diverse, you know. Um, and it's not rooted in relationship. Um, so I say that. And then, you know, even moving beyond the bounds of race relations and reconciliation and healing, um, I think any transformation will only take place when we look inwardly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, if we keep looking at exterior things,
2: yeah.
1: um, then it's superficial. But I think when churches and individuals and when Christians, followers of Jesus, and, I'm, and again, I'm not just talking about race relations, but
2: yeah.
1: um, I think when we look inside, you know, when Paul talks about not being conformed to the patterns of this world, the church continues to be conformed,
2: yeah.
1: um, which is an outward work. But we're not being transformed, which is inward. Um, yeah. we're not, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, so we immediately get resistant well that's not my experience and this and that you know it's just like why and stop. like what if we stopped and asked like why do we get so defensive
2: yeah.
1: where does that come from why are we so um defensive when it comes to the topic of race why when someone says black lives matter do we immediately want to say all lives matter when we actually don't even have relationships with black people to begin with yeah. To even know that that statement that you said in response is true, right? Um, so um, yeah, where are your networks? Where are your relationships? So I think it's looking inward, but that takes humility and um, it takes us being willing to slow down.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: interesting, look at what COVID has done to us. It's forced us to slow down. But we, if you notice, like when, when we were forced to slow down, people felt like they, con- they had to continue to be busy. Yeah. So all these initiatives just popped out of nowhere, right? Everyone had to continue to be relevant and be busy. And it's like, no, slow down. Yeah. Stop, you know? So we we, we have a hard time stopping, slowing down, being reflective and introspective. Um, That's why uh, I think that's part of the struggle we have right now. People aren't listening because they don't want to stop and listen. And they're afraid of being wrong. Yeah. So
0: you talk about, you know, your church being really interwoven into your community. And that's really the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I was, 2020 has been a really difficult year for, for a lot of folks. Yeah. How have you seen just all that's going on this year, manifesting itself in your community? What is you take the temperature of how people are feeling, how people are doing, how people are kind of making their way through the year? How, how have you seen, how are, how are your folks doing?
1: Yeah, you know, again, I think we can learn from those whose struggle has been their norm. Yeah. Um, so for our people, for the most part, I mean, having all the kids at home has been a struggle. Yeah. Um, it's a big adjustment. Um, I would say our kids are struggling because of that lack of social connection. Um, and being in school so that i think that's a reality for everybody um across the board you know folks have lost jobs so we've tried to figure out how to whether we as a church um help out um you know paying folks to use their gifts to meet needs or trying to connect them to different resources and agencies but the, for the most part, our people, we've been okay, you know, with the, again, I mean, not to keep bringing it around to the racial tensions, but we we create, we intentionally create space to process. So as a church, we pause. Um, so when there is um, one of those moments, um, which I believe these are Kairos moments for our country, but we want to just run past them real quickly, you know, because we don't want to stop. <laughs> well, painful, right? Yeah. It is, it is. Um, but but until, the country, until we stop, we're going to keep feeling the pain. It's like my mom used to always say if you don't hear, you must feel. And we're going to continue feeling. Yeah. So, um, but as a church, we pause and, and we, we intentionally have a time where we check in. So, even this Sunday after the election, Sunday morning, we have an hour um, before we go live on Facebook. Um, we call it prayer and fellowship. It's like, hey, family, how are we doing? Just have some time to process. And what was really interesting was for the most part, people weren't like, oh yeah, we feel good, or no, I feel horrible. People were just like, look at the church. Look at us, like, what's wrong with us? Mm And that's where the conversation was, which I loved that. Mm -hmm. Like our church didn't, we didn't get stuck on a political party. We were like, what's wrong with us? Mm -hmm. Like, it's embarrassing. Like when you look at the landscape of America, the church, isn't like people don't look into the church for answers yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah. so um and that was one of our you know folks who you know a couple of years ago he was like i don't he was like i don't have anything to do with the church yeah. and now he's like dropping gems we're like Phew. and when he said that the conversation shifted and we were like man yep look at the church
0: yeah so I was talking with somebody last weekend. And we were talking about healing, you know, this a season of how do we help people heal and deal with some of the what's going on. And, and the, the response was, well, if the church. Yeah. And I'm like, and as a pastor, it just crushes me because I know that that's true mm-hmm. for that person that they've kind of lost the, the, the belief that the church can really be the church. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel like that's what I'm fighting for, you know, in my church is like the, not just to be relevant. I think sometimes that's, we have these conversations, you know, we're going to have a race, our church is going to have a racial conversation. We want to right. go be relevant. Our church is going to go serve the poor because we want to be relevant. Our church is going to talk about this topic to be relevant.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for me, it's not a, a matter of relevance, it's a matter of faithfulness. It's a right. matter of saying, uh, you go. You use the word calling a bunch of times. It's like, well, what are we called to, yeah. ultimately? Not, am I called to be a pastor at Community Covenant Church in Lenexa, Kansas? But as a a man created in the image of God on this planet, what is my God-given calling as a human being Absolutely. on planet Earth? Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so that causes me that you know that causes me to want to hang in mm-hmm. where I am and say man I with all my heart want to see my church be a faithful church you know when when Jesus is going to you know dictate those letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation I want I don't want my church to be Laodicea you know I don't want my church to be the lukewarm sitting on the fence where we're poor blind and naked you know I want to I want to be the church that that Jesus might have to say I know you're going through some hard stuff but hold on, you know, and I think to your point, we have really missed lament. Absolutely. We have really missed um, the idea of, of really being introspective and taking stock of what's going on inside of us. And what are those disconnected things or broken things that we really need to pay attention to? It's kind of like, you know, my, I took my son into a, physical therapy appointment yesterday because he continues to hurt his ankles Mm -hmm. and we do that because he continues to hurt his ankles yeah and you know once you keep limping up the stairs eventually Mm -hmm. you know if you're paying attention you say there's something wrong Mm -hmm. let's go get that healed so that you don't keep limping up the stairs so that you can walk without a limp right but it seems like in the church oftentimes we want to just ignore the limp And say, well, my ankle might be limping, but my arm's strong, (laughs) you know. So we kind of emphasize on that, and so that's the challenge we find ourselves in. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you raise a great point with lament, and again, I think our more marginalized sisters and brothers, those who have known um, suffering, and have been in a place where God has God has had to come through. Yeah. Right. If, If if God don't come through, we ain't gonna make it
2: yeah
1: um they know lament but again when there's this exceptionalism we're the best um we have everything we need and even worse when we believe we have everything we need because we worked for it or we earned it yeah Um, yeah we deserve it and we've romanticized history you know without really really acknowledging where our stuff really came from we don't know how to lament. Because we don't, we don't have to, you know. So, um and then those who do lament, or those who are crying out, not you know, crying out for justice, whether it be in the streets or in the church or in homes, you know, there may be some, you know, some thoughts of like, well, what's wrong with them? You know, some inferiority, you know, that if they would just pull themselves up by the straps, if they just work harder, maybe it's fatherlessness. That mm. maybe they're in that condition because there are no fathers, mm. you know. Um, so then we. We you know explain it away, and then and we do it with no relationships. Yeah. Right. We just listen to some news outlets that agree with us, um, and we go on with our day. And then and then if we re- if we really get pricked in the heart, you know, then we'll write a check. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's
0: about it. Yeah. So, you know, man, our hour is flown by, it's flying by. Um, but I I don't want to let you go before I ask the question. So thinking about the body of Christ Mm -hmm. and let's just say the body of Christ in Kansas city, because I, I don't live in Chicago. I can't speak for other, other cities, but for Kansas city, what do you see as the way forward for the body of Christ in Kansas city? What would you like to see happen in the churches in kansas city
1: and that's such a big question i don't know if i can answer it fully i can just give my just from the perspective and just what i see
0: yeah that's what i want that's what i'm yeah
1: yeah so it's not again it's not gonna be a full answer because i i don't believe i can answer that um but just
0: from where you sit sit on your street today
1: yeah yeah where i'm sitting in this chair in my basement right now here's what i think um You know, there have been, and I I really believe this race issue is the root of our issues. Mm. Um, The church continues to be segregated racially. Um, Kansas City uh, continues to be segregated racially and economically. We've had 160 plus homicides this year um some of those have been on my in front of my very house Mm. you know three and three in front of my house this year Mm.
2: um
1: but what i continue to see are ministries or churches organizations that um so this sunday our church started a series on politics how the churches to engage and i talked about four types of power mm. um, power over which is what we're usually accustomed to which is fear-based um, it's scarcity there's not enough power to go around so we have to hoard it, control um, and that seeped into how we do ministry so there isn't enough um, and there has to be there has to be those in power and those who follow hierarchies of those things that seeped in but then we, the Sunday we talked about, power with, and this collaborative effort that every there's enough power to go around because we have power. Each of us have power internally, and then we have the power to create something mm-hmm. together. Um, the church in Kansas City has to repent of a power over mindset, and right? because power over affects those who are in power, right, and it affects those who are crushed by the weight. Um, so then they assimilate and feel like that they have to um, kind of to be yes, men and women. Right. Um, so what we see are these efforts towards reconciliation and, and reconciliation in a biblical sense. Um, because many have said that America has never had a time when there was when, when there was unity, right? It hasn't existed in this country's history. So there has to be a, um, a reckoning right where those in power relinquish that power, those who have been oppressed um, decolonize their faith and decolonize how they function Um, and then i truly believe um, those who have been oppressed should lead Mm. Um, those who have been on the margins what i continue to see are the ministries that have resources and power and they're connected and they can make a phone call and things can happen they get to lead and then the marginalized groups have to follow and then they become a face um, until that's flicked I, I don't think the church is we're going to continue to stay in this space yeah And until, we, until, until there's actual authentic genuine relationships which will cost all of us um, and until we allow those who have, who have their, their, their existence has been one of lament and suffering until we follow their lead we're not you know until we actually follow Jesus <laughs> let's put it that way until the church actually followed jesus hit the way he lived um we're gonna stay in this space amen amen
0: hey i so appreciate your heart so appreciate when we get a chance to have these conversations it's 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 cool that i'd be able to record one to have people be able to hear your voice if there are people listening or watching and they want to learn more about your church they want to learn more about what you're doing how can they find you online
1: yeah, so our church's website is www.newcommunitykc.church. Okay. Um, and then you can go, you can find us on Facebook as well at New Community, uh, New Community Church KC. So those awesome. are the two ways to find us.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today, Daryl. And for everyone who's either watching this on YouTube or listening to this podcast, um, our heart is that as you listen, that this isn't just a, an informational exercise that God works through this. And so as you continue to join us week after week, and we, we, we just pray, my prayer for you is that you will continue to seek what God is doing in your community and to seek to join God in what God is doing in the greater community around you, both locally and around the world. And so wherever you find yourself today, listening or watching, uh, our our is that you just, you join God in what he's doing. So until next time, We'll see you soon. Take care.